welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point. Because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Go, the podcast. Happy Wednesday. I feel like there's so much, so much to talk about. First of all, we dropped top stories a little bit late yesterday. Um, and we talked all about the debt limit update, which immediate, we're so sorry, but apparently it's a political crisis. And we also talk about, we literally just did this and I'm already forgetting DeSantis, uh-huh. we talk about uh-huh. mansions, future moves, and then what's the, what was the second one? The second oh, one was oh, this the is senator this is actually Maryland a brand that I don't. For this. Yeah, <laughs> I talk about how I literally had no idea who the senator was, and that's why I couldn't remember the second story, which was about him retiring. So, anyways, there's the top stories. But the reason that they were a little bit late too, I wanted to shout out. I was part of the arena academy for the last five days from thursday to monday if you are looking to work in campaigns or learn more about them or just work in politics in general i highly suggest applying i think they have another one or i think the other one the one in june is going to be like the secondary one but anyways they first of all are jobs list if you're looking to work in the political space you can look for jobs on arena but they do this academy i think it's annually and it's basically like campaign school like you can join different tracks you can be in the data track comms track fundraising campaign manager and learn really everything it takes like a fast track learning on how campaigns work because i worked on campaigns and when you do get a job on the campaign if you haven't had one before like you are really thrown into the fire to just kind of learn as you go because like I studied political science. I don't know about you, Sam, if in your education that you learn anything about like campaigns or like no. that kind of like, it's we really like learn um, about state trade governments. school for campaigns. Huh? We didn't even learn about state governments. Like I literally, mm-hmm. when I look back on it and I stalk myself on LinkedIn, I don't remember what classes I took. I also like literally only took like international classes. Like I don't, which is so funny because now I'm not interested really in international politics. So go figure. Well, yeah, but no, the only thing I had was shout out to Dr. Fox, my of favorite professor, who was a guest on the show back in the day. He, one of his classes was Senate simulation. So that was the only like actual simulated type education I had on how to like work in the political space. And that was obviously like working on the Hill type situation. But this yeah. Arena Academy was cool just because it's like you can actually sit down and like learn what it takes to like build a campaign plan and, you know learn about the data that goes behind it and all the things that go behind campaigns. Cause again, if you, well, I did, I did see the calendar in our Canva and I was like, Oh, so that's what she's <laughs> up to. <laughs> yeah. So I made a comms calendar. I was in the comms track and it was really fun. It was actually, it was also interesting to be in a school type setting again, where I was like taking notes and like, immediately at a presentation. I honestly like I'm been in such an immediately no mindset for anything jumping back to school related but this was actually since I'm just a nerd all things politics and I've loved my campaign experience like it was actually fun to sit down and learn about something you're interested in so go Go check out arena jobs list if you're ever looking for one too I think that's another thing that's hard to find in the political space is somewhere to even look for jobs of how to get your foot in the door so great website yeah remember when we like our one of our business goals, we were like, we're going to like start like a political. List. Yeah. Like yeah. that was like, there was a good, I don't know what, two, three months where like, this is where our business is going. Mm-hmm. This is like, <laughs> we wanted to be like the, rec- the inside global recruiting company for the political space, which is honestly still not a bad idea, but there are some great jobs lists yeah. out there. Arena being one of them. And this, if you do this academy as well, if you're looking to hop into a campaign um they help place you certain places so definitely go check it out shout out to arena there it is well speaking of arenas i feel like there were two sort of arena style mm. events this weekend well right. week and weekend to week because one happened on monday one happened this weekend 
the first in the political sphere White House Correspondents' Dinner, which there are all these events also leading up to it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, I mean, we know the eventual event is nerd prom, but it's almost like there's the pregame up to the prom. No, oh my God. If I'm not- A wedding week in a way. If I'm not there next year, I'm going to be soaps. I've literally put on my bucket list. I'm like, attend White House Correspondents' Dinner. And if I don't get that invite to the actual dinner next year- I at least want to go and be in DC and like attend some of the events because DC is just yep. popping off for the, that weekend. But no, it's officially on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. If I'm not at a White House correspondence in there before I die. Then what, why well, Also, I, I think one of the biggest like interesting, well, there are a lot of big moments, but the Vanderpump crew, part of the Vanderpump mm. crew at there and at there, oh my God, that's not English, at the White House Correspondence Center and some of the events. And I thought to myself, as much as I love them, I was like, if they're there, no, literally, I was there. like, who the fuck? I'm a jealous them. girl in me, but it was like, Daily Mail. Was I like, saw they were Daily Mail's um, guests, which I'm like, this checks, but that does. But so I was jealous. I was absolutely jealous. And the host made a joke about mm-hmm. Sandoval, and well, did you see the video of that. Ariana being like, oh. That's me. And also I was dying. It was like, wow, now Biden knows about Scandaball. Like that's, Mm -hmm. okay. So this was also super interesting. I forgot. Oh, I think it was Paige on the toast was talking about how like sometimes there's like Bravo scandals and how her and Craig talk about it. It's like, okay, well like realistically, like the Bravo universe is its own little universe. Like Mm -hmm. it's, yes, it's a lot of people, but like people don't know like necessarily like- If you're not in it, you don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Right. But then she was- it somehow like segued into talking about the Vanderpump one where it's like, even if you are never a Bravo person, never like into Vanderpump or whatever, it was on CNN. You've now heard about this scandal. Like it broke the Bravo barrier. Mm. And it's just so wild to me where it's like, it, you know, there's just something that every once in a while transcends its own niche. And that really- I just can't believe they're there. Like- Me too. They looked gorgeous. Lisa and Ariana. Right. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely crazy. I can't mm-hmm. like wrap my head around that, that, that those two worlds collided. Like if, if anything was but more on brand with sense. our brand, it would be just that, that world's colliding moment. That intersection. And I know we've talked mm-hmm. about it before and I don't even remember which episode it was on that we really got into this cross. Oh, you know who I think it was? It was the, when we went on the tent podcast, we talked about this with Daniela is the fact that the Bravo to political person crossover is like huge. Like almost every person, especially every woman that we interview is a Bravo fan. Like it is like one for one. Mm-hmm. And there is something so interesting about that dynamic. Like, I don't know yeah. if it's because it's like, it feels just like so escapist and like. For sure. I think that's why. And it's, you know, it's yeah. just, it's a whole nother like sphere and whatever. But I just, that crossover made me so happy Julia and then Fox was there also looking like what was what that was the, it was spoon, <laughs> it was mime to clown is what i would why i'm just so curious too like like big like political operatives like dc insiders just walking by her being like who the fuck is that and no, why does she have her face painted <laughs> like can you just and imagine right. like all the like people who like yeah. work on the hill or whatever they're just like you look like a fucking clown. <laughs> Literally. Because I think um, that is what was like so interesting about this year is it really was like a cross section mm-hmm. of different worlds. Also, I thought Biden did honestly really good in some of the clips so that right. I saw. Like his jokes were obviously great. Not that he even wrote them, but like yeah. his his presentation was like good and he wasn't. I don't know. Like, I th- I'm sure it would have been in like an intimidating, I don't know, just in light of all of this reelection announcement, his age being the conversation, like he really showed out and showed up and he, he wrapped funny. up That's with his, thing. he is funny. He's like a charismatic guy. He has a great personality and that really takes him so far, but he also has been just like embracing the dark Brandon of it all. And I'm like obsessed. Like he wrapped up the monologue with wearing his, his black aviators and I think it's so genius, too, that they're just, like, owning this, like, taking ownership mm-hmm. of it. I also saw their campaign website. They Some of their merch the is Dark Brandon merch. So I love that they're taking ownership of that. But that was good. 
Roy Wood, Roy, Wood, Roy Wood Jr. made a joke about the age and he was talking about like essentially the retirement age in France was raised and everyone's rioting on the streets. He's like, but meanwhile, here in America, we've got an 80-year-old begging for another four years <laughs> to work. And I was like, it is that funny, interesting like contrast also to like that American mentality versus the like French European mentality. And obviously there's nuance to like what's going on like Biden and running again and why that ne- it needs to happen or why people's yeah. point of view is yada yada but it is it just like highlight that kind of classic like aka I was meant to just live in Europe because my argument for every time we talk about this age conversation in politics I'm like why aren't you laying on the beach relaxing somewhere reading a book like why do you want to keep working but yeah also Biden he joked about his age too but one joke that I saw in here that I literally died at, he joked that 92-year-old Fox Corporation chair Rupert Murdoch, quote, makes me look like Harry Styles. <laughs> I literally died at that. I was like, oh, so Harry Harry is in on it now. He's here. He's like... Mm-hmm. And also, yeah. didn't we talk about Rupert Murdoch getting engaged again recently? Oh, no. Did he? Did he yeah. actually? Shut mm-hmm. the fuck up. He's 92 and he's engaged again. I think it'd be a TikTok on it too. Like how old is she? She, I forgot, but she, he also like made a comment. This is why I remember so distinctly. He was like, oh, Christ. like, this is like my, I know she's like the one, my last one. And it's like, you really don't think this no is the last marriage? You're in 92. <laughs> and you never know, but like. This um, is it. This is it this for me. She's, she's my forever. <laughs> oh. Oh, they called off the engagement. They, oh, what? Oh. Wait, hold on. No, We're reading I feel this. bad for her. <laughs> According to Vanity Fair, the News Corp CEO and his latest fiance, Anne Wesley Smith, have called off the engagement they announced a mere two weeks ago. Oh, damn, that video. What? Vanity Fair did not confirm a reason for supposed backtracking, but did note that one source close to Murdoch said he had become increasingly uncomfortable with Smith's outspoken evangelical views. Listen to anyone on his own. Has yeah, yeah. Have you listened to any type of Fox News programming? That was such a roller coaster to have to go through that. I thought, you know, this woman was really getting just a nice a nice silver spoon and then it got stripped away from her and just got stripped away from me but yeah what a what a whirlwind i would say of probably like it's longer than 48 hours because of like the white house correspondence dinner stuff starting Mm -hmm. like late last week but like let's just call it a weekend weekend's worth of pop culture moments and i put it on our story it was like which do you think has like more pop culture permeance like permeance jesus christ the matt gala or the white house correspondence dinner and Met Gala did win. For but, sure, Met Gala. But, for, but White House first sponsor does. I honestly forgot like, that I was. I didn't even know that was happening until it was happening. You know, my campaign for getting an invite to the White House Correspondents Center next year starts now. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I'm um, hitting the link. I'm hitting LinkedIn. I'm going to Who do to we start need to network with? Networking. I mm. All I know is. That is on my manifestation list, and I will be putting in the work to make sure I'm there. Mm-hmm. Or again, at least a good first step would be just being in DC, being invited to some events, and then perhaps the following year. Honestly, I wonder if the events are more. Oh, who's going to be president in 2025? Oh my god! Why do you have to do that to me? We were having. I know, fun. but next year is probably going to be a good one. But then 2025, we might have a new president. Hopefully not. Knock on wood. Knock but on wood. anyways, hmm. I feel as though we have spewed enough, ranted enough. I do just want to make a few quick housekeeping notes. One, if you use Be Real, if you use Be Real, they have a new update that allows you to integrate your Spotify and show people what you're listening to. So maybe do that and show your friends that you're listening to Girl Mug of the podcast. Take a screenshot, share it to your story, tag us. Also, if you tag us in a story with a screenshot of the episode you're listening to or your favorite episode of the podcast, 
Also with the link, we will send you some of our new smiley face stickers. We finally got new ones in. We have new colors. They're so cute. We're obsessed. They're on Maddie's water bottle. Show it. Do a little, do a little ro- rotate it and show it. Yep. Smile. Only a smile with a smile. One. But I also um, have this one on my desk. So cute. So cute. Uh, we'd love to see it. Smiles all around. And then when you get stickers, tag us, all the things. So that's that. Also, newsletter. Please sign up. Please share it with friends. GovHub newsletter comes out on Mondays and it has action items, political events, resources. Also, if you are one of our politicos that listen to this show, reminder that we have a paid newsletter called Hashtag Viral, and it is literally trends and content ideas and updates on all the different social media platforms, and it's all geared towards applications in the political space. You're going to want to get on that. We actually just switched platforms, and now it's even cuter. I mean, all the things. So sign up at the link. Subscribe on YouTube. Give us a little rate and review. Help us grow. My favorite review recently was that we are a liberal podcast. We were called Libs, and I was like, thank you for reading the description. I love when people... How'd how'd they figure that one out? I know. I... I was like, well, this is funny. Where, where did the math map? Make sure to follow us on all the places. So on Instagram, Girl on the Gov, Girl on the Gov podcast, Girl on the Gov on TikTok, Girl on the Gov on YouTube, Girl on the Gov, and Girl on the Gov the podcast on LinkedIn. We have two. We have a page for each. And we are now on Lemonade. So. <laughs> and you know is. what? If you want to just go to girlonthegov.com and see all of the things that Sam just mentioned, you can find our social media links. Yeah. You can sign up for the GovHub. Gov Hub, the Gov Club, all the things, guys. Everything's there, and it's got really a new makeover. Said, so, go check it out. But no let's way. introduce our amazing guest, our amazing friend, and it's just a it's just a fun fun episode as a whole. I think for everyone, mm-hmm. this is honestly it's we didn't even think about this on purpose, but we are kind of doing like two episodes in a row that are like the besties chatting. Like that's kind of like the vibe that we had with our friends at the 10 podcast that we had on last week's episode. This is kind of like the same vibe, but different topic with our friend Jess, who is Jess Gale, to be specific, who is the communications director for Congressman Eric Swalwell. Maybe go listen to his episode too in the fall. Get get to know Eric, get to know his vibe, the whole nine yards. However, this episode is all about DC careers, what it's like networking on the Hill, how to get into these careers. Also, just like what it's actually like, like how do you find an apartment in DC? Like, what's the vibe? Like, how do people act in the offices? Who's in charge of what? Just what a lot of that nitty gritty. Yo, what do you wear? Literally, what do you wear? Let's get into this episode. Let's get to this interview. What? Get all your DC curious friends round the campfire for this one. And without further ado, here is Jessica Gale. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlonthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. If you work in the political space, listen up. Here at Girl on the Gov, we have built our whole business around effectively marketing political messaging through digital media. And we want to help you do the same. We have a full digital media consulting menu these days, tailored specifically to the political space. Number one, hashtag viral. It is our paid social media newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Tuesday. If you've ever thought uh, this meeting could have been an email, this newsletter is for you. We give basics to best practices, platform updates, and the content ideas you need to go hashtag viral. And for offering number two, if you want some one-on-one face-to-face attention, we offer that too. We provide social media audits and consulting to help you achieve the conversions and engagement you've been hoping for from your social media content. And number three, in our newest edition, Podcast Consulting, we are the minds behind this gorgeous political podcast for young voters that we've been running for two and a half years now. So we know a thing or two about how not only to get a podcast off the ground, but how to grow an audience. We provide podcast consulting for anyone trying to get their podcast started or provide podcast audits for those who have started their pod but want to see it take off. Podcasting is a great new in-house digital media marketing tool and a great way for any candidate elected or org to amplify their work and their voice. So head to girlonthegov.com slash consulting to learn more about our services and to sign up for hashtag viral to start slaying the beast that is digital media. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that. 
all promising to fix my split ends and my dry skin and all of the things. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. And your formula literally couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skin care is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals, and they get personal. Pros covers everything from diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They even asked me about, you know, where I live, the water hardiness that I have coming from my shower, UV index, all of the things. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing premixed, nothing off the shelf. And I know from experience, one-of-a-kind formulas equal one-in-a-million results. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed that my hair is definitely fuller. I have thinner hair that just like will not hold a curl or stay voluminous. And ever since using pros, that has changed. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering an exclusive trial offer. So you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash girlandgov. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash G-I-R-L-A-N-D-G-O-V for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash girlandgov. All right. We are so excited about this conversation, about this episode. Guys, for everyone tuning in, we have a friend of ours on the show, Jessica Gale. She is the communications director for Eric Swalwell, who you may have seen on this show before. So, mm-hmm. you know, just connecting some dots. Well, to get things started, welcome. We are so excited, like I said. Like, this is going to be genuinely the most fun hour of this week. <laughs> And potentially this month. So thank you so much for popping on with us. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. We're going to, we're going to get into it and especially getting into what it's like to work on the Hill, the ins and outs, getting there, what that journey looks like. So if you wouldn't mind sort of starting with telling us your journey to working on the Hill, like how did we get from like A plus B equals C? Yeah. So I am someone who never in a million years thought I would work on the Hill. I grew up wanting to be a reporter and yeah, took one political science class in college and had never been to DC before I started working on the Hill. Like, so it was a whole new world for me. And I've been there for 10 years and worked for several different members and I, I love it. So I, again, was a reporter for six years worked with several different people who were communications directors, press secretaries, and thought it looked really cool and like a fun job. So one day I went up to a couple of them at a press conference and just said, hey, if a job like yours ever opens up, let me know. And one day one of them called me and left me a voicemail and said, we should chat. And we did. And turns out she was leaving and wanted me to apply for her position. I did. And the congressman was moving it out to DC, the position. And so here I am. Wait, that is a networking sleigh of all sleighs. They're like, hey, by the way, if you're just ever looking for a candidate, let a girl know. That is amazing. People people. need to, yeah. Oh my God. Shoot your shot. But people need to do that more. You never know when something is going to open up or someone's going Mm -hmm. to need a recommendation for something. You know, I think. Yeah. People need to be more proactive and that is... No, it's a great yeah, networking proactive. lesson to just know that like, yeah, you can network with people, get your coffees, and then you're not going to always get your in right then at that coffee. Like it yeah. really is just like that long game of like meeting people and like, you know, making sure that you, you know, have those connections so then people can down the road be like, oh, I know somebody. Yeah. It's like I mean, it just keeping like the faith. Six months, I think, 
before I got that phone call. And yeah, it was just out of the blue, but I wanted people to know. I mean, I was totally happy being a reporter. I'd loved it, but I was interested in, you know, looking at doing something like they were doing someday, you know, and yeah, yeah here I am. I love that. And it's also such an interesting switch that you did from being a reporter and being on like that side of the communications world versus now you are kind of on the internal side working. Now you like, you know, reach out to reporters versus I'm sure before there was a lot of comms directors and stuff reaching out to you. Can you kind of explain how the differences between like those different roles and those sides of this communications world and how is the switch? Yeah. So people ask me a lot if I would ever go back to being a reporter and if I miss it and and all of that. And the thing is, a lot of what I loved about being a reporter, I still get to do in my current job. I get to tell stories. I get to write. My job is different every day. And so, I mean, I loved being a reporter, but I love my job now. And I think what makes me good at my job now is that I was a reporter and I know how the news business works. And I, you know, you mentioned that I have a lot of communications directors, you know, maybe reaching out to me, but I'm also, you know, again, like I am reaching out to reporters proactively and pitching them on stories that my boss is doing so that, you know, making their lives kind of easier and just kind of like setting up some stories and yeah. you know what I mean? And so, so, I mean, that's, what's the same, I guess. But what is different is when I was a reporter, I was kind of covering a lot of different beats. And, mm-hmm. you know, one day I was maybe at the state Capitol and the next day I was the grand opening and yeah. you know, I, mean, just, I was all over the place. And now my subject area is, you know, a person, it's the congressman and whatever he's doing and whatever bills we're introducing or whatever, you know, hearing season. And so that's really the main difference, mm-hmm. but I do love it. You know, I work for somebody who I think is doing great work. And, and so I think it's really interesting and I get a plan, you know, help plan events that he's doing and things like that. So I've really enjoyed it. That is first of all, awesome. Because you always love when you like take that risk and switch around Mm -hmm. and it actually works out and you're like, oh my God, yes. Like these skill sets not only apply, but I actually enjoy like where they've led. And I'm curious from sort of the reporter end of things of like, making that switch more than anything? Like, was there anything that really surprised you then coming to the internal comm side? And then you were like, wait, this is how that works? I think, I guess what really surprised me coming on the Hill was our government is run by really young people. Like, you know, I know I met with you guys when you were on the Hill. I don't know if that surprised you. You're walking down the halls and it's like 23, 25 year olds. Yeah. And they're like running the offices. Mm-hmm. And that really, really surprised me. And I was 27 when I started as press secretary. And, you know, that was like, you know, I still thought I was like pretty young, like 27 year old press secretary. That yeah. was like, no, you know, okay. Like average age maybe, but like, yeah, everybody is so young in these offices. That was really surprising. That actually is like a really interesting thing to just think about. I feel like we always are talking about, you know, like how we need more young people in government, but it's like, it is true. There's so many young people who work behind the scenes. And I think that's definitely so important to highlight. And it's, it kind of feeds into kind of what we want to get into in this episode too, of how people, you know, get into these roles and especially young people, there's a lot of barriers that make it difficult. And I think that might also maybe feed into like why it's a lot of young people, because, I think young people are more just willing to kind of put up with things in the beginning of their career that typically maybe you wouldn't when you are more senior level or as you get older, you're like, I need these benefits. I need these certain things in my my job, like the work-life balance, all the things. So working on the Hill is crazy and we want to get into all of that. So really to kick it off, like we when we did meet with you on the Hill, we talked a lot about all the barriers to entry really for working on the Hill. And so there's a few levels to this, few, you know, aspects to it. We want to start with first housing because that's a, a big thing that I think is a is a big barrier for a lot of reasons. But can you kind of paint the picture of like 
the housing situation in DC, especially for these young people who might want to even move across the country for to come work here, like how it's a really big ask and there's not always, you know, the amount of help that's needed to, you know, get some good housing situation in DC. Yeah, absolutely. So I totally lived this again. I had, I was so excited to get the offer to be a press secretary for my hometown congressman. Again, I had never been to DC before. I had no idea the difference between the different neighborhoods and all of that. I asked the office to help me with moving costs. That was a no-go. So don't be surprised if that's the case. And came out here with my mom and was going to look for a place to live and ended up living in a house that was not great, not really a great location, but I lived with five dudes. Oh I was the only girl. I paid ten fifty a month in rent. And this room had mice. It had cockroaches. I mean, it was disgusting. It was disgusting, but I sucked it up because I wanted to live and work in DC. Yeah. That being said, I don't know if everybody would be willing to do that. I mean, I sucked it up for six months and mm-hmm. then moved, but yeah, I mean, that that's my story yeah. in terms of finding housing. There are much better options. I looked on Craigslist. There are also options. There are Facebook groups and also if you get a job or an internship with an office, they can also help you because there are some that float around the hill, like short-term housing, things like that. So they could also be willing to help you that way. So there's short-term housing. DC is such a transient city. People are in and out so much that it really is not hard, but it is expensive. I will also say that it's really not uncommon for people to live in Maryland and in Virginia and commute in on the Metro. So Mm, if you hear the term DMV, that is what people are talking about. They're talking about DC, Maryland, and Virginia. So keep that in mind. Okay. Mm. So there's like a a zone or a larger zone that like sometimes people pull from, but that is, I'm sorry, that rent number for five people living in the place, I can't get over that. And that's like coming from... New York rent POV. Mm-hmm. I think my first apartment was something around there, like maybe 1200 or whatever. I didn't have heat in my room, so I feel your pain. That was a very cold situation. But regardless of that, it was three roommates and not five and three being like me being one of them. That is why I, what was like the grossest thing of like living with five guys? I got to mm-hmm. know besides the cockroaches and mice, because where the I cockroaches mean- and mice? As it was, you guys, it was, it, it was something I don't really want to experience again. Like it was, it was gross. It was I, gross. I can only imagine what, it, wait, did you guys, did you share a bathroom? Like, yeah, all five. Yeah. I mean, there were like two bathrooms in the entire place. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was oh gross. my gosh. Well, okay. People don't be scared. <laughs> it might be a deterrent because the other question we had is if there's housing dedicated to staffers for people who want to work on the Hill. I know we have um, one of our former interns is in that situation. So what is that like? And is that available to everybody or is it kind of scarce? So if there are people listening who are doing an internship through school or a program that usually will come with dedicated housing, but if not, then you're really on your own. Got it. That's yeah. That makes sense. I actually have like a question about the social scene of it all. How does that work for people? Like, is there like, how do I put this into words? Like I would think it would almost be like a little scary to meet friends in DC and not just the new city element, but just in terms of like, okay, like they work for a different representative or someone on the other side of the aisle. Like, are they going to try and screw me over? Or like, are they being friends with me for like, they want to be friends or like, do they want to be friends for some sort of like political gain? Like, is there that? Am I totally out to lunch and incredibly clearly paranoid of like that scenario? Samantha is a very paranoid person. Oh, I'm Jewish. What do you expect? <laughs> People have been trying to kill us for years. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm sure that that happens. I'm sure that happens. But I will say my best friend works on the other side of the aisle, you know, 
our political, like we could not be more different politically, but we have a great time together. And when I first came to DC, the office across the hall was a Republican office. And we used to go across the hall and, you know, have parties with them, drink with them. And it was a great time. And so just think that it's so young, like the Hill is so young and everybody is kind of in the same boat being, you know, away from home, young. It's kind of like college after college. And so you're going to meet people. It's fun. People like to go out. And so I ended up meeting my very best friends here. I love that. Well, See, yeah. that's what we want to happen for people. Yeah. So obsessed, paranoia aside, you know, yeah. it's one of breaking down, breaking down all these barriers and scary stuff because I think it's such a cool job, first of all. But another piece of this is attire. The Hill has very specific dress code, which can also be a barrier to people. I mean, you talked about that when we met with you as well, just, you know, be it even budget of having having to go get a whole new work wardrobe, all the things. Can you kind of explain how the attire and dress code on the Hill can be a barrier as well to working on the Hill for different, you know, demographics of people? Yeah. So I think, look, we've talked about how the Hill is young and you're doing a very professional job and want to be taken seriously, but the bottom line is people are young. So mm-hmm. you need to, you need to dress the part. You need to dress as someone who is working for the United States government. You're working for a member of Congress. And the bottom line is not everybody dresses that part. And, you know, if you want to work on the Hill, you do, you need to dress like that. And, you know, somebody told me once you need to dress for the job you want, not the job you have. And that stuck with me, you know? So whether you're interviewing, whether you're, I don't know, just whatever job you're in, like dress the part. And I understand nice clothes, dry cleaning, stuff like that. Like it is not cheap. I, I understand that, but I would say invest in a few key items of clothing, whether you are looking on Poshmark or ThreadUp or whatever, you know, find some good, you know, blazers, you know, black pair of pants and, you know, a nice suit, whatever, and make those your five nice items, rotate them out. And that will be key to, you know, landing and you know, really keeping like a good job on the Hill. And, you know, later on I'll get in, like, I'll give, you know, you my email and, and everything to talk more about it. But I also just want to say that dress code and, and maybe not having money or the right clothes. If you have the will to work on the Hill, I don't ever want somebody's wardrobe mm-hmm. to get in the way of them working on the hill. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's related to the question too. It's like, what are some of the the tips and tricks for being able to access wardrobe, you know, at, you know, I don't even want to say affordable because that's so different for everyone, Mm -hmm. but do you have any tips in terms of trying to find some of those items at an accessible level? that, you know, allows people to at least get in the room. Cause I, I think that is so challenging for people one. And I, so I think that's question one. And then I think question two is like, what is the dress code? Like if someone were thinking like, I'm, I'm packing up my bag, whether it's for an interview, an internship, officially, you know, accepting a job offer, like, what are those things? Like, what's the, I must have this particular outfit set in the suitcase. Like, what is that? Yeah. And is it like, is it required like on paper? Is there a, a chunk that's like, when you get the job, it's like, here's what you have to wear. Or is it kind of more of like a cultural, like just social norm, or is it like actually in paper, like this is the requirement? So no, I'm glad you guys are asking that. So let me be clear that every office on the Hill is like their own small business. Mm -hmm. So there is no, like, if you work on the Hill, here's how many sick days you're going to get, or here's the dress code or anything like that. Every office is completely different with their rules. There could be one office 
that tells you that wearing what I'm wearing right now is completely okay, that that's a great outfit. Whereas the office next door says, absolutely not. This is too low cut. We don't allow red. You know, I don't know. Yeah, really, right. Like that could be a rule. Typically the rules are when a Congress is in session. So when the members are in DC and when they are voting, you dress up more. So something like this and like a skirt or, you know, black pants, whatever, like something a little more businessy. And then if you are in the office and they're out of session, meaning the members are back in their district or, you know, basically the members aren't around, then it's a little more laid back. So you'll tend to see people in jeans or, you know, it's just like, it's, it's more laid back. Like, yeah, I've gone in, in, you know, in jeans and a long sleeve shirt or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So that happens usually in, in August, every, we're out of session and it's typically like one week every month. It's like so, an extended casual Friday mm-hmm, situation. Exactly. Yeah. So that's typically the dress code. That is so interesting. I was so curious about that. Like what was like the rule people had to go by? Like, was there, you know, like an overall, everyone that works here needs to come in and like a suit and whatnot. And I'm curious too, like, has the pandemic affected that at all? Like, did that bring the level of formality down at all? Or would you say like, it's still just as formal as it's ever been? I would say it's still just as formal. What has changed is the amount people go in to the office. So for example, right now, the House of Representatives is out of session this week and next week. And so when I first started on the Hill, like in 2013, I was still going in even when we were out of session every day. Right now, the chief of staff for my office said, you don't need to come in. Like, I still expect you to work, but you don't need to come in like this week or next week unless you really want to. So I'm not going in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's changed. Like, and that's not for every office. Again, like that is like an office by office basis. That's very interesting. Okay. That makes so much more sense. Well, another barrier to entry is kind of an unexpected one. I think maybe a lot of people don't know this, but cars are necessary when you move to working on the Hill. Can you kind of explain the who, what, when, where, and why of why cars are a necessary part of working on the Hill and having a driver's license and that whole situation. So I want to clarify, cars sometimes are necessary. There are jobs where a car can be necessary if the the role will require the, the person, the staffer to drive the member. But that is not always the case. For example, you know, I worked for a member for almost five years where the staffer who had the role of driving the member drove the member's car. So he never had a car. Now having a driver's license, yes, I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, you should have a driver's license. But let me be clear that someone is interested in, you know, applying for a position on the Hill. The description will say that a car is required. I've never heard of someone getting along in the process and then all of a sudden they just learned that they're going to need a car. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a car when I moved to DC. I have one now, but you know, I didn't. And I know a lot of people who don't. So I don't want to give the impression that this is like most entry-level positions because I don't think it is. Yeah. But, I, but, but it there are limits some. your, yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. can limit your options as far as what jobs yeah. to apply for. That is so interesting too. Like I have a lot of friends that are sort of ruined through city kids. Never, first of all, I would not trust them to drive if they even got a license now. Like I literally would be putting my life in their hands. I could not, but they just, they never got licenses. And I'm sort of like, hmm, like what would they do in that scenario? So it's interesting to see, like you almost have to look for that qualifier in the job description. Like, do I need this or do I not? Like yeah, what that looks like. Interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it could be something that can totally like slip too, if you're applying to jobs and reading job descriptions, you know, and I, and I think too, it's something that maybe you could see and be like, oh, well, you know, if I don't have a car. Maybe there's a way I can like get around it. But I think it's just important if you are looking to work on the Hill to just know that that is an aspect of some of these roles and to know, like to look for that in job descriptions and make sure that if that doesn't apply to you to maybe skip on to the next one just to avoid that. Also, side note, I would be so scared to drive my boss. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like trying to impress them, trying not to say anything stupid, like all the things and trying to drive, not crash, not yell at anyone. I am from New Jersey. I can't help it. Oh, I have the worst road rage. I would be, I would probably get fired just from driving. Yep. I literally, I applied to a job like years ago and was pretty far in the interview process. And like one of the requirements was it was a state assembly member here in California, but he ha- he would have to drive from San Francisco to Sacramento like a couple of times a week. And I'm like, that's a long drive. Just to be like sitting with your boss. Like that's just I'm like, I don't even know if I want this job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that is yeah. a really long time. That's a good point. Think There's only so much small talk too. Like I'm yeah. also personally, not to make this about me, but to always make this about me. Like I'm a terrible small talker. Like I can't keep it appropriate ever. So like <laughs> the idea that I'm supposed to talk about the weather for like, what what would that be like a three hour drive? Yeah, it's, yeah. This one would be like two or yeah, but it's. Oh my God. Lot. Or hopefully they just big be on the phone the whole time or something. You can just right. drive and just. Because I'm Give like, them an iPad. They must have like, like work kids. to do during the driving. I think they do. And because honestly, otherwise, why would they just drive the themselves? silence too? Or like just want to be, want to zone out and be by themselves. That's true. Kind of, you know? Yeah. But it you is know. an interesting thing to think about. A lot of people don't have to like drive mm-hmm. their boss. <laughs> so, yep. There's a feature of working on the hill for everybody. But another one, and arguably one of the biggest ones, is pay. There's been a lot of organizing and movement around increasing pay for staffers. Can you kind of paint the picture of what that looks like now versus maybe even a couple of years ago? I think have things gotten better? Like what what are the kind of problems when it comes to pay of working on the hill? Yeah. So I came from working in public radio. And so, you know, working on the Hill was a pay increase for me. Then I moved to DC and realized everything is so expensive. Maybe not really. Yeah. But basically, I also don't know why I thought that this job was going to pay a lot of money. I don't know. I think some people maybe do think working on the Hill, maybe it's because it's I think people think it's like elitist almost. So you like think that. But let me. Let me just let everybody know right now, you're never going to get rich working on the hill yeah. ever. Yeah. So when I, the good news is, is that last year, Nancy Pelosi, she signed something that the bare minimum that a staffer can make is 45,000. No one will make less than that. So that's really great news because there were people working insane hours who were making like 30,000. That is just crazy. And one of the most expensive cities. So, you know, the bare minimum is 45000 and it only goes up from there. You know, there's still a long way to go, but mm-hmm. we're getting there. Yeah. No, that's still so low. And especially given like all these barriers we've talked about of all the things like moving, housing, clothes, and then also like the extra hours. You're not just like working a regular nine to five. Like, you yeah. have very long hours and a lot of work to do. And it's just a lot. Like, I don't even do. Can people get second jobs even? Is there even time for that? You know, working a second job would be would be hard because you're working so much during the week. But I know mm-hmm. people who who do get second jobs. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I racked up like 20 grand in credit card debt a few years ago. I mean, I've paid it off now. Yeah, I wasn't. I mean, for DC being such an expensive city, I wasn't making enough for the way I was living clearly. And, you know, so it's just, you know, it's hard. And so you have people who work in second jobs, you have people whose parents are helping them like mine weren't. And then, or you have people like me who are racking up credit card debt. So I think, you know, and people are seeing that and they're pushing for, for better pay. Yeah, because it bleeds into such a bigger issue of like representation and government and diversity. And, you know, if a lot of these people have families that can support them through a payless summer internship, it allows for a certain demographic of people to be able to go work that job like seamlessly. And it prevents 
a large majority of people to not even be able to consider it, which is such a problem given that it's literally like supposed to be working for our biggest like representative body in our government, which is Congress. So I think that's part of the thing too. It's like if we're, these people are so critical to making our government function and then we're not paying them like a literal living wage, how are we expecting then the government to function well or be staffed properly? It's like trying to like it, like I think government is also like it's a business in a lot of ways. And it's like understaffing and underpaying your business. You're only going to get it so far in that type of context. So like underpaying people, like it doesn't, I don't think it moves us ahead as a country. I don't think it moves us ahead as the, you know, a government functioning. So Mm -hmm. it's just crazy. And it makes me wonder too, like what the culture is like on the hill about this. Like, is this People are sort of like, okay, it is what it is. Or people, I know there's been some organizing around this, hence like Pelosi, you know, coming out with this, you know, the essentially basement of what the pay will be for people. But like, is there, you know, what what's going on in terms of conversation of raising pay for people? And also too, like, is there anything that people that don't work on the Hill can do to help those staffers and help increase the diversity mm-hmm. on the Hill? So there's a couple of things I want to mention. One is... I don't just want to discourage people about the pay and things like that, because when I first started working on the Hill, I had a little over like 20,000 in student loans as well. And one thing I didn't know was that the Hill will help you pay off your student loans. And every office has like a chunk of money that they can disperse to people in the office who have student loans. So for me, it was like $850 every month, like helped pay off my student loans. So they were paid off in like a year and a half. And so, you know, there are things, even though the pay isn't great, that like, that was a huge perk for me. And a huge perk, I think, for a lot of people who would want to work on the Hill. In terms of the culture and what people are um, saying about the pay and things, I think because of the pay and because of the long hours, it makes it so there is not a long lifespan, I guess, for people who are working on the Hill. So I've been there 10 years and that is like an eternity for somebody working on the Hill. Most people are on the Hill for two or three years and they leave, not only because they can get a better paying job, but because they burn out. And so that not only kind of hurts, I guess, I mean, it hurts our government because we're not getting people who have the knowledge mm-hmm. and everything from being on the Hill for a long time. Right. But to your other point of what's being done, there are offices who have started to unionize. And so we'll see how that plays out. That's kind of a new thing. And I know that there have been talks about doing more to get Hill staff stay. And that includes like better childcare services for, you know, for Hill staff and also like better healthcare. Our healthcare is pretty good, but just covering, you know, more things. So we'll just kind of, it's kind of a waiting game. Right. Totally. Well, I also want to kind of talk about, I know we've talked about all these like kind of dark clouds around working on the Hill, but there is so many benefits and positives of working on the Hill. And I want to make sure we cover those as well. I mean, when Sam and I went and visited, like just being there, I think I immediately, it immediately clicked for me. I'm like, this would be so cool to work here, especially like right after college. And if you are a political nerd, like it's got to be just like so inspiring every day to go and live through that and experience all of the fun and the drama that comes with working on the Hill. So can you kind of explain too, just like there are these barriers, but it's also probably such a fulfilling job. Can you kind of highlight just some of those like positives of, you know, working this job and being in this environment? Yeah. I mean, I have gotten to experience amazing things. I mean, I've met President Obama. I've met President Biden. I went to a state of the union. I was there when the Pope was in DC and was at the Capitol. I like have gotten to do amazing, amazing things that I never would have been able to do if I didn't work on the Hill. I've been on like trips to, you know, Taiwan and like, I mean, just like really 
random, like cool things that again, I would never be able to do. And so I think that, I mean, it, it has completely changed my life. And I, again, like I'm from Utah, would ne- like never in a million years thought I would work on the Hill. And so I also just want to reiterate that like, I wasn't a political nerd, like, like, and this, like, I have totally found a home in, in working on the Hill. So I think that you don't have to be a political science major. You don't have to be someone who, you know, grew up watching the West Wing or House of Cards or, you know, Veep. But if it just sounds interesting to you, something that, you know, people should check out. Totally. Well, also taking us into like the direction of, you know, the advice column, if you will. If you were to, you know, start on the hill today, like what advice would you give yourself? You know, what would you be like, I wish someone told me this. Not be so hard on myself, I guess, that jobs and internships are really competitive and that it's a numbers game, basically, Mm -hmm. that that I shouldn't take things so personally. And also the... If somebody's getting back to me and I didn't get, you know, said job or said internship, that it's okay to circle back. And would you mind getting coffee with me and letting me know what I can do better or mm-hmm. what giving me feedback? Right. Like that's okay. I didn't do that for a long time, you know, but I want to let your listeners know that, you know, my first boss ended up retiring and I interviewed in 14 different offices before I got a job. 14 different offices. That's not 14 interviews, 14 different offices. And my biggest piece of advice is to send thank yous, Mm -hmm. send thank you follow-ups via email or, you know, an actual card, but that is a big thing. Do you have advice on where to find people to network with? Like, you know, if you, if maybe if you're not even in DC yet, but you're, you know, looking to start interviewing, how do you like even find the people to reach out to? So you can always reach out to people who maybe attended your college, your same college, find them on LinkedIn. I think it's totally fine to cold email people if they work for a member or senator that that you admire, reach out and ask them to hop on a Zoom or hop on a coffee. My biggest thing is always have an ask, whether it's someone you know, don't know, you know, whether that ask is Hey, can you set me up with two other people who you think it would be good for me to meet with? Or whether it's, Hey, I'm going to email you my resume. Can you look over it and let me know if you have any changes or whatever, but always go in or leave a meeting with an ask. That is really good advice. And I wanted to circle back to another piece of advice that you shared a few minutes ago, and that is about the like follow-up process. Like what, well, first actually, okay, let me just rework this because I have two questions and I want to flip the order of them. Before we get to the follow-up, in terms of actually like, say you get to like the coffee meeting itself or the drinks meeting, whatever it is, right? Like what are some of the questions you should have? And then if it's like the second time, for example, you're meeting with that person and you're trying to build that professional relationship, but maybe you don't have direct questions, like what would you advise on sort of planning for or having like ready to chat about in those moments? Because I think a lot of people struggle. They're like, oh, I should totally meet with this person. But like, what on earth do I say? You know? I mean, I think it's important to have, again, a reason you're meeting with somebody. So whether it be, I would love for you to go over my resume, or I really admire something your boss is doing. Can you give me tips like on you know, X, Y, and Z, like your boss's social media, how, like, what are you guys doing to get so many followers? Or, you know, I remember meeting with someone because I really wanted tips on doing editorial boards, you know? And so like, I had like a purpose and like, kind of like laid that out. I don't, I wouldn't advise just getting coffee for the sake of like getting coffee. Cause again, like these people are busy. Mm -hmm. So I would say like, Hey, I'd like to get to know you. I would also like, you know, tips on building out my network or, you know what I mean? Like whatever it can be, but kind of have an agenda of like what you're going to ask them. And then I would say 
if you're trying to find a job on the Hill or an internship, make a spreadsheet of who you're meeting with and keep notes of like, again, who they work for, what you guys talked about, because I think it's important to not only reach out to this person when you are like asking them for something, like asking them to flag your resume or whatever, Mm -hmm. but like, say you are keeping a spreadsheet and you remember that this person's from Idaho or this person likes donuts, whatever. And this person works for, you know, Senator Johnson, you know, whatever. Then let's say next time you see an article about Senator Johnson, I don't know, then you send an email to this person and say, Hey, I just saw this article was thinking about you. Great work. And you send it over so that it's not always you like asking. It's also you like, you know, it's like a a two-way street kind of, and you're reaching out, not always asking, you're, you know, sending just a thoughtful note as well. And you're keeping track of all of this in a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. We love a donut moment too. So this, (laughs) that'll definitely be on everyone's list, I'm sure. But that is a good idea just in terms of actually keeping track of like, what people do and where they're at and having like an idea of like what that looks like. Because I think also as people grow their careers and they connect with so many people, it's sometimes hard to keep track of like who is who and like what like would be, you know, the best priority for a certain ask or a certain, you know, relationship build. So I think that's just a phenomenal thing to do. And then also to your point about, you know, writing a note like a congrats or this looks great or whatever that is just like a great idea for being able to, it's essentially like the email DM slide. That's how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. Now following, following up on the follow-up, what should be in a follow-up note since you've sort of, you know, maybe you've made the ask or the connect already, what should be there? Should it be like a recap? Should it, you know, and also what's the line of two suck up and <laughs> the right amount of suck up I mean, I think, it can be short and sweet. I think, again, these people are busy. You just want to say, hey, Jamie, thank you so much for, you know, getting coffee with me today. I appreciate you taking the time. As I mentioned, would really appreciate your help in looking over my resume or in connecting me with a couple of folks, you know, appreciated your advice on, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever. That's kind of like recapping again, like, like looking forward to chatting with you soon like have a great rest of the week, like super short sweet. And that's it. Love that. Okay. So basically everyone listening, that's your template. Take (laughs) it, type it, run with it. We love a template, but I think that's such, such good advice. And some of these little things, it's just interesting where you notice where like sort of that teaching isn't there. Cause a lot of times like this isn't stuff that's taught in school. It's like learned experience where someone has a parent that you know, has worked in a professional setting that either matches or mirrors what, you know, the the kid, you know, wants to do. So they're able to provide specific advice, but a lot of people don't have access to that literal like in-house advice. So I think things like this are really important learning moments. So thank you for giving us that. And to conclude too, I would just like to do like the classic question that we get all the time. And that is like, what is, is it like to be a woman working on the Hill? And like, what are the things that like any tools in your toolbox, you would say that have helped you navigate this incredibly like male dominated field? Yeah. So being a woman on the Hill, I mean, it's empowering. It's great. There needs to be more of us. So that's why I want to give my email address out and have people reach out to me if they are interested in working on the Hill, because I, you know, am happy to help more women get on the Hill, whether it's an internship or a job. So my email address is jessica, Gale, G-A-I-L at mail, M-A-I-L at house dot gov. And I also just want to give out a couple of the websites where people can start looking for jobs and internships. So one of them is called Tom Manitos. That one I think is $5 a month, but it's helpful. There's also a house vacancy bulletin and just type in like house jobs and there'll be a house vacancy bulletin that you can sign up for and it will come to your inbox once a week. 
And that has internship postings or vacancies, as well as house job vacancies. So I recommend that. And there's one called District Daybook that has some as well. So those are the big ones that I recommend, as well as just networking. Again, reach out to me because a lot of them just go and circulate internally. So those are my biggest pieces of advice. Love it. Oh, well, such good advice. Yeah. And so such needed advice too. I know we get we get this a lot from people who, you know, want to work on the hill and it's and it's hard to get your foot in the door. And even when you do, like there's still so much, you know, you have to do to then climb the ladder and go from an internship to an actual, you know, staff job and paid job. And there's just so much to it. And so to answer these questions and then also like have you as a resource, I think it's going to be so helpful for people. So thank you for extending your services and your knowledge and all the things. So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Happy to do it. Well, Love. thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. I am sure we will have you back on, keep this conversation going. But again, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, ladies. Really appreciate it. 